This morning we begin a series, a very short series of three messages entitled Believe, Belong, Become. Words that you see as you walk into the building, words that are printed on your programs and literature, believe, belong, become, but what do they mean? This morning let's focus on believe. It has been said that it doesn't matter what you believe, so long as you believe in something and it helps you cope in life. Now, I haven't said that, but that is a very, that's a statement, a very pragmatic view of what life is about. That as long as there's something you believe in, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a piece of carved wood, it doesn't matter if it is a piece of stone. So long as you believe in something, because you see, here's the deal. With this view of life, religion, faith, is just a crutch. It's just a coping mechanism. And so whether you believe in a, a piece of wood as an idol, or whether you believe in Mother Nature, or whether you believe... That the chair you're sitting in is your God. Hey, if it helps you get through, what does it matter? Buddhism or Budweiser, what does it matter? Just as long as you believe something. Of course, there's there's a big problem with that. Because to accept that view of life, you cannot believe that there's any absolute truth. What is absolute truth? Absolute truth is something that is true anytime, anywhere. It doesn't change. Now, we know a lot about truths that aren't absolute. I mean, things that are true for us, for instance. uh, When you have a baby, or probably even better yet, a grandchild, okay? You look at that baby and you say, that is the most beautiful baby that, that, I mean, that is, there cannot be a more perfect child in all the world than my child or my grandchild. And parents, you know, grandparents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, now somebody else may look at that very same baby and go, my goodness. I wonder what happened. You see, we have kind of a... a, a individually a a scale of what is beauty beauty is in the eye of the beholder right okay and that's why you know sometimes you wonder how did how did he end up with her how did she end up with him because to us we don't see the beauty so that's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about absolute truth okay we're not talking about those kinds of of things that are connected with aesthetics what we're talking about is truth that is eternal, a truth that is not shaken, truth that does not, it isn't malleable. You can't mold it, reshape it, reclassify it up and down a scale. Things that are truly true. And as Christians, we believe some things are truly true. Things that can't change, things that aren't subject to the wind. But if you come in and your idea, your philosophy is there is no absolute truth, 
then you're going to run headlong into scriptures like John 14, 6, which, in which Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you don't believe there's any absolute truth, you're going to have kind of an issue with this. And you're going to have to figure out a way to get it to fit your philosophy, your belief system. And, and lots of people do. What they'll do is they'll look at this and go, well, you know, Jesus probably never said that. Or, you know, it's in the Bible. You really, it's just a book of myths. Or they may even go so far, to, you know, Jesus may have said that, but that's not what he meant. What most people do is they simply ignore it. They pretend like it's not there. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If I ignore that, then it doesn't have any implications, any power in my life. As believers in Jesus Christ, you and I perhaps have a different view. That when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's exactly what he said and exactly what he meant. And you can ignore it. You can pretend it's not there all you want. But that's no wiser than pretending a red light is not there in the middle of Athens traffic. Just because you pretend something is there, ignore something that's true, doesn't make it any less true or any safer to ignore it. Part of our vision for Grace Fellowship is this. We want every person to believe in Jesus and to have a growing faith. That's part of, that's part of our DNA. That's, that's our desire is that people believe in Jesus and that they have a growing faith. In other words, we do not accept that truth is relative or that Jesus was somehow mistaken or misquoted in John 14, 6. We believe he's the way, the truth, and the only, the only life. That goes beyond this life. John 3.16. You're all familiar with this. But you know what? There's more than just 16. Do you realize there are verses that actually come after that? This is what they say. Let's pick it up with John 3.16. For God so loved the world. You know this part, right? That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then it goes on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Are we going to accept that? Are we going to say that's truly true? Or is this a truth that can, eh, it's really, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, there are some truths that really aren't a big deal. Because if they were, you'd pay more attention to them. For instance, 
your, your bowl of cereal this morning. There's some things that are true about that. Now, it's not true that there's a real guy named Tony the Tiger. It's not true that there's a real Toucan Sam. It's not true, I'm sorry to tell you this, there is no real Count Chocula. But if you turn the box to the side, it tells you what goes into that cereal. Most of them you can't read. They're like 14 syllable complex words that are strung together on there. But it tells you what's in it. You know, that's true. But I'm telling you, when you're chowing out on Count Chocula, you don't care. You, you really don't care. You're not thinking, oh, what kind of chemical? What was that I just tasted? Now, what kind of chemical did they use to make this chocolate flavor? No, you just, you're just eating the Count Chocula, okay? But there's some truth there. But that truth really didn't matter much in our lives. Does John 3, 16 through 18 matter? Oh, yeah. It matters not only in this life, but in the life that's to come. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, we read, All the prophets testify about him, that is, Jesus, that everyone believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Boy, that's truly true. All the prophets. In other words, when I read back through the Old Testament, it's pointing me to the New Testament. When I'm reading back through the prophets, it's pointing me to Jesus. And all the prophets testified about him that whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I am so happy that's truly true. Or I'd have no hope at all. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who, what? Believes. Are you getting, are you getting it that maybe believing is kind of important here? That if we believe in him, we have life abundant and eternal. If we believe in him, it affects our eternal destiny. If you want to know how to be made right with God, if you want to know how to be in right relationship with God, if you want to know how to have eternal life, then listen to the words of Peter who says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So I want to ask you, are you there yet? Have you placed your belief, your trust your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Now, I understand believe is kind of a loaded word, right? Yesterday, as the game, somebody may have asked you about a college football game and about your favorite team, and you could have said, oh, I, yeah, I believe my team will win today. Somebody who might have said that ended up disappointed on the other end because your team didn't win. We're not talking about that kind of belief. What are we talking about when we, when we say believe in Jesus? This has to do with our recognition that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior.
That's why God sent his son in the first place. If you and I could clean ourselves up, get ourselves fixed, make ourselves right, God wouldn't have needed to send his son to do, do that for us, what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so to believe in Jesus also means there's something we believe about ourselves. You see, even the demons believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you know that? Even the demons believe that. They don't like it, but they believe it. So for us to believe in Jesus in a way that brings salvation to us means that our belief is not just about a factual thing that happened two millennia ago. What we believe in Jesus is that Jesus died for me. That he paid the price for my sins. That he hung on the cross in my place. And then what he did was more than sufficient for me to have a right relationship with him. More than enough to cleanse me of all my sins in my past, in my present, and whatever sins that I will commit to the day I die, even if I live to be older than Charlie Marshall. That he's got me covered. Okay, that's what it means to believe. If you say, oh, I believe, but your life, your life shows no evidence, then it's not my job to judge you, okay? You need to understand that. But you may want to take a really good look in your spiritual mirror today and ask yourself, is all my belief up here? Or do I believe with every fiber of my being that I have a Savior who died for me and I trust in Him to be enough? Believe is such an easy two-syllable word, but it's a loaded word. Don't make it less than it is. It's not about obedience. It's not about rule-keeping. It's not about religion. It's about taking a literal leap of faith into the arms of Christ, knowing that he will not let you fall. What we desperately want for you is for you to believe in Jesus. And we believe that your eternity hangs on what you do with that choice. But that's not all we want for you. We want for you to grow in your faith. Some of you do believe. You believe very firmly. You trust that what Jesus said was truly true. You believe it with all your heart. But your spiritual status is, as far as your growth, is, is just stagnant. You you really can't, we, we, I've challenged you for a couple of times over the last few weeks to, to consider where you were spiritually five years ago and to ask yourself, am I any further along? Is there any more fruit of the Spirit in my life today than there was five years ago? And if not, what's standing in the way? What's getting in the way of me growing and becoming the person that God created me to be? 
I want to encourage you to press on. Press on. If we were to, if we were to make a list of people that we said, these people are spiritually mature, there'd be some people on our list that we know. And there might be some people on our list that we only know by reputation. And probably pretty close to the top of the list, at least in the top five, we would have to say, you know, the Apostle Paul. He was a dude who was, who's, he was spiritually mature. I mean, he had to be. He wrote most of the New Testament himself. You know, the letters he wrote. Uh, he had to be a spiritually mature guy. People looked to him. He planted churches. He was a missionary. He suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. He would be someone I consider to be spiritually mature. But this is what Paul said about himself in, in his letter to the Philippians. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them to be garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen, he goes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Oh, that God might ignite that kind of passion in us to know him. And to grow in him. I don't watch many races. Ex- foot races. Except you know during the Olympics. When you see those folks taken off from the blocks. Once they've left those blocks behind. They don't think about them again. Now, they pay very close attention when they're getting set up. You're, you notice? I mean, they get down in there. I won't try to do that. I may not be able to get back up. But they, they get themselves in position. They put their feet just right on the block. They make, you know, they make sure their shoes are tied. That's always a good thing. They're checking where they are in the line, checking the placement of their hands against the line. They want to make sure that they start well. But when they leave the blocks, they don't look back at those blocks. They run full out as hard as they can go on these sprints, not on the... Not on the long-distance races, but on these sprints. They run full out. But what's interesting is when they get to the line. When they get to the line, they, they don't, they're not leaning back when they get to the line. They're leaning forward. They're almost falling forward as they try to cross the tape first. As they try to cross the line first. They are straining forward. That's the image that we need to have in our minds. Forgetting what is behind. 
You know, what, what, what was said, what I had for breakfast, what, what my wife or husband said to me before I got started. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting that yesterday I didn't feel too well or that this morning I even had a sore toe. Forgetting what is behind. I'm straining forward. I'm pressing on. And that's what God calls us to do in our Christian lives. And most of us, quite frankly, have set it on cruise control. You know, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I've got my reservation for heaven. Why do I need to do anything else? Why keep running when you've already caught the bus? You never see that analogy in Scripture. Of course, they didn't have buses then. What you do see in Scripture is a call and encouragement to keep moving forward. To keep knowing Christ. And this is when Paul pins these words to the church in Philippi. He's saying, listen, this one thing I do. This world is filled with many things, but... This one thing I do, the thing I want most in the world for my life is to know Christ. And not just, ooh, the resurrection, ooh, I'm good to go. I don't only want to know Christ in the good times. I want to know Christ in the suffering. I want to consider it joy to be able to suffer for his sake. I want to consider it pure joy to be able to endure for the sake of growing in Christ. Some of you have developed that attitude and you recognize, you know what? I'm going through some pretty bad stuff right now. But if this makes me more like Jesus, (laughs) bring it on. It doesn't mean you enjoy the stuff. It just means you know that this, is, this can be part of the refining process of your life. Pain and loss and agony can be part of the refining part of your life. This last Thursday night, I had the privilege of, of, of having the Lord's Supper for our Celebrate Recovery. And we had the Lord's Table set up right here. And we had the bread and we had the cup. And we had a little place for them to put the, the cups after they were done. And we came up, and there were, there were two things that I wanted to happen in this that I had some measure of guidance in. The Holy Spirit had the whole thing, and he gave me just a little part. And my part was, I wanted to make sure when I put the bread into the hands of each person, that my hand actually made contact with their hand, okay? There's no bowler around here, so I felt I was pretty good with that. And so I wanted to make sure that there was flesh-to-flesh contact. When I, now, I didn't say anything about that. I didn't make a big deal about that. But I wanted to make sure that they knew this is not some mystical thing that's coming out of heaven dropping into your hand. What makes the bread so real for us is that Jesus came in the flesh. And he touched Lepers. Okay. The second thing I wanted to happen was that when they finished, I wanted them to have an opportunity to just do business with Jesus. And so I just said, hey, if you just want to come over and spend some 
few minutes in front of the cross and just praying and doing business with God, uh, come over and do that. And many of them, many of them did, and they spent a good bit of time just, just praying and doing business with God. I want you to do business with God this morning. I want you to honestly be able to go to God and say, Look, Lord, I want to grow. I want to know Christ. And God, whatever it takes for me to know Him more, I don't want to run away from that. I don't want to drop out of that. I don't, I don't want to quit that. I want to know Christ. And I don't want to just know him in the good times when everything is going well. I want to know him when I'm in the bottom of the well like Jeremiah. I want to know him when I'm sitting in the ash heap like Job. I want to know him not just when I'm on top of the world, but when the world's on top of me. And God, I want you to use everything, everything, everything that comes into my life to make me more like your son, Jesus. Whatever it costs, I want to know him. Consider how a writer of Hebrews encourages. He says in, in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The next time you go to a football game or watch a football game, look up into the stands. Those people showed up to cheer. They showed up to to get up and yell and holler for their team. And if, if the running back broke into the open, they're up going, go, go, go. Now listen, now they didn't have football back in, in, in biblical days, but they did have sporting events back in those days. And they had stands, places like the Colosseum, where people would gather and they would come and they would spend their day watching these sporting events. And they were no less rabid no less into it than the biggest sports fans that we have right now. And so the writer of Hebrews uses this images, image. Since we are surrounded by this great stand full of witnesses, let's run. Do you know what's happening when you're running this race? You've got those spiritual giants and those spiritual unknowns from centuries past pulling for you. You don't see it. You don't hear it. 
But your mom, your dad, your grandparents, those dear friends that you've had go on before you, they're looking into your life. They're not, you know, just kind of hanging around like the movie Ghost or something. They're pulling for you. They're looking at you run your race. And they're cheering. They're celebrating every victory. And they're moaning at every defeat. But they're there. Since you were surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, run the race that Jesus has marked for you. It's important. It's not the same for all of us. Lord didn't call everybody to preach. Lord didn't call everybody to go on the mission field. He did call us all to be missionaries, and he did call us all to be evangelists. But where he called you in your circumstances, he's got a course that's set out for you. Run that course. We have a problem with that because we want to run somebody else's course. I heard about a guy that he went to the gym. And he decided what he wanted to do. He got on the thing and, and he, he turned over and, you know, there are all these people that are lined up. But the guy right next to him, he said, he didn't look too tough. So I'm just going to try. I'm just going to just do a little better than he's doing. So he got on, you know, he's, he's going and he's got it set on stroll. And the guy next to him is going about the same pace. So he reaches up and he punches it and he starts going. He looks over and the guy next to him has sped his up. So he, he, he punches it and he, he's going, he's getting, it's getting faster and faster. And the guy next to him, he's looking at him, he's going, he's pale, he's puny, he's out of shape. He shouldn't be able to keep up with me. And the guy just kept going and going and going faster and faster until he had the thing on maximum. And he realized that it was a mirror next to him. Run your race. Get your eyes, you, you can't, fixing my eyes on Jesus. He is my model, and he is my goal. And so I keep my eyes fixed on him as I run this race that is set out before me. So the question you need to answer this morning is, are you running the race? Are you on the course that Jesus has set for you? Are you straining forward toward the prize? Or are you sitting on the bench watching everybody else run the race? Now I know some of you are in different places in life. You don't have the same energy you used to have. You don't have the same stamina you used to have. And you wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is yes. Do you realize every Sunday morning when you come in and you pick up one of those bulletins that Charlie Marshall's touched every one of them? He didn't have to come up here and help stuff stuff in bulletins, but he does. Sometimes the smallest thing that we do in Jesus' name 
can have the greatest impact on the people around us. And we sell ourselves short because our course is not like somebody else's course. And we can't run at the same pace that they run their race. Just forget that. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Forget what's behind and throw off anything that would encumber you. What kind of things encumber you? Well, sometimes it's your past. Sometimes it's unconfessed sin. Sometimes it's fear. But we're said, throw it off, throw it off, throw it off. If, if you notice that, you know, the, the racers now, if you ever watch a race, that they, they've got this skin-tight clothing, they're not running like a sweats and T-shirt. They're, they're, they're down skin tight. The swimmers, the guys shave all their body hair. I hate to even shave my face, but they, sh- you know, why? Because what they're doing is they're saying, listen, this hair on my legs is going to get in the way. It's going to cost me one, one thousandth of a second. And so it's got to go. So for us, what is it that's slowing us down? What is it that's keeping us for some of you, it might be TV. For some of you, it could be alcohol. For some of you, it could be internet. For some of you, it could be pff, nothing. I mean, it's just nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm just, just kind of hanging. What is it that hinders you, that slows you down? And are you willing to throw it off? For the sake of knowing Christ and growing in Christ. If you're not a believer this morning, then I want to tell you, you can come and confess Jesus today. You can come to him and say, I am a sinner and I am lost. And I've been trying to rely on my own goodness or I've been trying to rely on religion or I've been trying to rely on the fact that that at some point in my life, somebody took me somewhere and they dunked me under the water but I, I, I got to tell you right now, if I were standing before the king of glory and I were honest, I think I'd just be consumed. I think I'd just be a pile of ashes in his presence. You need to know that there is forgiveness that is full and free. And it is only in Jesus. And today, this day, you can receive him as Savior and Lord. If you're already a believer, then maybe you need to come today and say, God, I'm a believing couch potato. I checked out of the race a while back. But today, your word and your spirit have convicted me, and I am no longer content to sit on the couch. I want to lace up my shoes today and get into the race and run it on the course that you have marked out for me, forgetting what is behind, throwing off everything that hinders. My eyes from this moment on are fixed on Jesus, and I'm going to run until I cross that line and collapse into your arms. Some of you may need a new start this morning, a new beginning. And I am so glad to tell you that God is a God of new beginnings. You may want to use these steps here as just an altar and just come and say, God, please forgive me. 
Forgive me for putting it on cruise control, for taking such a lax attitude towards my spirituality, towards my growth. And God, I don't want it to be like that. Change me. I've been, tell, I've been praying, God, that you change everything around you. Today I want to come and say, God, just change me. And God will answer that kind of prayer. Because you see, when you seek God earnestly with all your heart, you will find him. He's not hiding. He came here this morning waiting for you. If you need a church home, a place to plug in, a place that believes that there are things that are truly true and tries to live that out, we'd love to have you. Whatever it is the Lord is calling you to do this morning, we want you to do it. You see, we can't make you believe, but we want you to. And we'll help you. We can't make you grow in your belief, but oh, how we want you to. And we'll help you. But you have to get off the couch and get onto the course.